You're listening to Oh My God, I'm a Therapist, the podcast for the therapy curious with your host, Dr. James Murphy Rising. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Oh My God, I'm a Therapist with me, your host, Janice Murphy Rising, an actual therapist. It is winter time, and in winter, I'm thinking about the trees and the leaves and weather getting colder. And one of the things I've done this winter, which was not a self care activity, which is today's topic, is I helped remove a tree. I didn't actually chop the tree down, but I learned in in chopping down giant, this happened to be three trees, two were a pine tree that were, I don't know, I think 50 feet tall, Um, and then a maple tree that was about 30 feet tall. I've learned that cleanup takes an incredibly long time. I have been chopping and moving wood and moving branches and pine needles, and so I feel intimately close to seeing the life cycle of a tree in winter. And also I'm excited that at some point that wood is going to provide heat for my family or for people that um, that need some wood. If you know someone that needs some fire logs in a year, hit me up. Today's episode is about self-care, namely, how do I practice self-care? Self-care has long been a term in the counseling field and in the helping professions. And I think it's made its way into mainstream. Uh, I see a lot of Instagram posts and otherwise about self-care, which I think is great and important. I know for me, when I was a student and I first learned about self-care, the message I got from my professors was, you need to take care of yourself. You need to practice self-care. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to be the best self-carer of anybody I know. My immediate assumption was that self-care was an activity. And because I taught yoga and practice yoga, and I practice yoga daily, I practice a lot of yoga. I still practice yoga, but I don't practice a lot of yoga. Like I, I you know, in my 20s was a little obscre- extreme, <laughs> trying to say obsessed and extreme at the same time. Both are true, um, especially obsessed with, with yoga. And yoga, in a lot of ways, really helped heal me, and I'm grateful for it. I saw yoga as being a self-care activity. Meanwhile, I started my graduate school internship experience and I learned about this thing called vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma is simply a effect of being a helper and listening to people's emotional or trauma complex stories. And over time, we can ourselves, if we don't find a way to discharge or release or get support, we can experience vicarious trauma in the same way that an athlete experiences injuries and their sports psychology. You know, us as counselors, we should have probably moral injury or self-care injury or vicarious injury coaches that help us, uh, that would be a really remarkable thing. But we don't. We just get told by our professors, do self-care. And at that time, I went, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing yoga. And that's it. I did it. But I've learned since that that's not really all that encompasses it. And one of the assumptions I made, and I think this is something that a lot of people think, I think it's just part of our counseling field, is that if I do enough self-care, if I do the right self-care, I will not experience vicarious trauma. I won't be impacted by my work. I won't have burnout. So just to give a little bit more language to that, I did my dissertation on yoga as an activity for compassion fatigue support for counselors. I thought in doing my research that I would find research that said 
something that helps prevent compassion fatigue is self-care. At that time, when I did that research, that wasn't in the literature. We think of self-care as being something that can support you from preventing or avoiding or recovering from. And I think it's true, it does. But at that time, it didn't exist. So I was like, oh my gosh, I found this gap in the literature. I, I made this assumption. And I think a lot of people make this assumption that if I just take care of myself. But first of all, I think we just need to know what is that? What is self-care? And so I found a definition from the literature, from the research. I'm going to read for you now. Um, and this is from some researchers, Lepma and Young, and Roach and Young. And it says, counselors are charged with maintaining their own personal wellness because counselor characteristics have a significant impact on the therapeutic alliance. So that's nice, right? That tells you, I think, what my professor said back in the day, you know, 20 some odd years ago is you should do this. You should do this self-care thing. Okay. And of course, I thought I was doing it. I think I did an okay job with the resources I had at the time. Our code of ethics, as counselor says, in addition, counselors engage in self-care activities to maintain and promote their own emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual well-being to best meet their professional responsibilities. Okay, that to me is a little more clear. Okay, it's an activity, which again is what I thought when I first started as a counselor and started my internship experiences of doing my initial counseling work. I do yoga and then I will be self-cared. <laughs> I'll be taking care of myself. What I've since found, wait, let me let me read a little bit more about working working with self-care. Chambers and Christopher are some researchers that said self-care practices are self-initiated behaviors that promote good health and well-being. Yes. Okay. So things like diet, sleep, exercise, therapy, boundaries. Um, I think in this day and age, technology boundaries, like one of the self-care activities I had to learn through trial and error was don't answer your emails on the weekend. Don't check them. Just you don't work in crisis. You don't have to check them. Practices like mindfulness work, yoga, moving your body, getting outside, reading, journaling. Okay. So we're still in this, right? Yes. Activities are a part of it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think the other thing that I figured out along the way is that my activity of self-care, yoga, um, and I have other activities for self-care, isn't necessarily what's going to work for everybody else. And so, yes, yeah, self-care is more of a method of helping helpers take care of themselves, resource themselves so that they can continue to do this work long term with this idea in mind, which I still think is true, even if it's not in the literature, to avoid burnout, to avoid this um, thing called compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma. So all of those are terms that people throw around a lot. And I think just to make it more exacting, compassion fatigue was first introduced by a social worker with the last name of Figley. And then later, um, Stam did research on compassion fatigue. And what Stam found was that we had these two parts of compassion fatigue, one being there were physiological aspects like being depressed or being exhausted or being anxious um, and stressed about work. And then there were psychological components like wanting to avoid work, you know, lots of feelings of dread about work, you know, depression. And so these two things have to exist in order to say, and they have to be related to our work life, that yes, that is compassion fatigue. People in any profession can have burnout. Self-care, as far as we know, is a good idea for all of us to do. You know, what I found is that not everybody 
wants to get on a yoga mat. Not everybody has activities that they want to do. In fact, sometimes saying, and this was, was my experience when my professors told me this, do something to take care of yourself. So like, go get a pedicure. <laughs> you can afford that. Or take a bubble bath. And I think you can take a lot of bubble baths and do a lot of grooming activities to make you feel good. And sometimes that is taking care of yourself. It's not necessarily self-care. Part of what inspired me to do this is I have a, a request from my my colleagues coming up that we're going to meet with students and talk about self-care. It's their first quarter in school, and this is a really good time to approach it. And my hope is to not have this reaction that they, I hope they don't have the reaction that I had. I hope they don't have a, I need to go do something and then later realize, wait, this isn't actually, it's not all just about activity. So I'm going to break it down to three different things. Self-care is one, your attitude about taking care of yourself. Dr. Kirk Honda, who is the host of Psychology in Seattle, has a t-shirt that he gives to his listeners that says, take care of yourself. You deserve it. In my mind, that is an attitude of cultivating self-care. So when I think about self-care now, what I do is I think about there's roots. And even if I'm going along, and I really don't, because sometimes I don't, I bet you don't either, have time to go do an activity to take care of myself. I just have a lot of responsibilities. I think a lot of people have a lot of responsibilities. It's a very stressful time in the world and in my life. But I think at the root, this idea of I should be taking care of myself, if my next thought is to lay a bunch of guilt on myself and shame, or maybe embarrassment or pushing that away of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not actually going to take care of myself. I'm probably going to go, 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 go. And then I'm going to do something because we all need to regulate our nervous systems. Like I'm going to have to start taking pills to sleep or I'm going to do things, you know, I'm going to watch too much TV and that's going to wear me out or eat too much. And those are, I think, technically self-care activities. They're not conscious though. And so I think at the roots of self-care is I have to be conscious enough of having this attitude of when I can, if I can, I will absolutely move towards this space of taking care of myself and reminding myself that I deserve care. Yes, sometimes binge watching a show on Netflix is my self-care. Is it conscious? No. It's a form of distraction, which is part of DBT. It's what we do as human beings sometimes. But I'm still always going to have an attitude of I need to take care of myself. And even if I'm not doing it right now, it's okay. I'm going to. I have an intention to. I think affirmations can be helpful if you find affirmations helpful. Some people find them not helpful or are learning how to give themselves affirmations (laughs) and supporting how to do that in a way that fully feels honest and can be in receiving of an affirmation. I've never been someone that if somebody says to me, good job, my brain's always going to, what, what do you mean by good job? Good job, what? And then it goes back to activities. Should I be performing more? Did I, did I perform well? Is that what you're saying? I overthink. That's probably not a good attitude to have for self-care, but it's something I do. But I have an intention of, okay, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm worthy and deserving of care, which is a great affirmation, by the way. And so attitude, I think, is the root of it, uh, of just reminding not all of us grew up, especially us as helping professionals. A lot of us grew up in families where we were the helper and maybe we didn't ask to be the helper. We just were the most emotionally solid or able or for the family to survive, we had to be the person to do that. And if you're like me, I got a lot of accolades for that. And I thought, huh, maybe I should do something with this ability to listen or my ability to help people. 
And none of that was, and I should take care of myself in the process. And so for me, this, the roots should be healthy. The roots should be watered. They should be healed. You know, we need to be able to plant seeds, even if we can't do it right now. So the first part is attitudes. The second part, activities. And I don't think it has to be yoga. I don't think it has to be go to the gym for an hour and do that consistently. I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to be well. And there's an entire wellness industries that I think is feeding on that. That like, if you're not well, what are you? Well, I'm probably just surviving. I'm probably just breathing. I'm probably just trying to feed myself or my family. And so for me, I think it's important to break down for yourself. What are the activities that are really realistic for you? Mindfulness is great. If you can do a minute of mindfulness, if, you know, having an app where you listen to a meditation or music that's calming, that gets you in your body, that's enough. It doesn't have to be a put on your yoga pants and get on your yoga mat and do 80 sun salutations. Oh, that sounds so exhausting right now. I would, I don't, I don't think I ever have, even in my twenties, I don't think I did that many. Not a goal. Anyhow. Um, so the activities can be something simple keeping it simple. I like HALT from the AA literature, which is an acronym for are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired? And it's not literally hungry, angry, lonely, tired, but like, what are, what are you needing right now that, you know, usually it's nourishment or food or water. What's your emotional landscape look like? You know, do you need to just feel your emotions, do some journaling, like go walk in the sun or the rain or wherever and just breathe and just let yourself feel your feelings. Sometimes I don't know what I feel. Sometimes I have to sit with myself long enough to understand it. That's part of what therapy is sometimes, is being with somebody long enough where they can get to the root of what it is that they're feeling. Emotional literacy is not something that is really valued in our culture, but that is what that A acronym for the HALT is, is being emotionally literate with yourself, which takes time. takes time. It is an activity. Are you lonely? So being with others, letting yourself be in touch with your longings, like what do I want? You know, lately I've been really wanting connections with friends and I just haven't had time. And so even usually I'm the person that can reach out and can connect and make dates for coffee. One of my activities in all honesty has been wordling every day with my friend Jess. I've missed one time since I started last year. It's silly, (laughs) but it's a chance for me to, you know, some days all I do is share my Wordle score with her. She shares hers. And sometimes, you know, this is a way we've kept in touch when we just both have been doing lots of things. So shout out to Jess. Hey, Jess, thanks for being part of my self-care activity routine. So I think that's the trunk. So the attitudes is the roots. The activities is the trunk. And then I think the branches of the self-care tree are your affiliations. Did I say all the things for halt? I might not have. I'm sorry. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So yeah, sleeping. There's so much research that good sleep is so important. Resting, doing things that calm you. I think I think we have a emphasis on doing things always, like always having activities to do. Like we don't have a, you know, being upregulated, being going, doing. We don't have a lot of emphasis on resting or on calming. I found myself really excited about just when things are hard, just listening to ocean music. It feels really good to me. Anyway, so that's the tired part. So getting to affiliations. I think this is a lot of different aspects of affiliations. This can be the people in your life that are reciprocal, your closest contacts, you know, and making friends in adulthood is hard. I found that over the years, I've had to really cultivate 
strategies to do this. It's a lot easier when you're in school. So community, whatever that community looks like, your local community, your hobbies, your interests. This is something I see with counselors starting out a lot is that you just are so excited about doing counseling that all you do is get together with your counseling friends and talk about counseling. I think that's important. I think that is another community affiliation if you're a provider, like getting together and consulting and spending time connecting, going to your own therapy, engaging in your own hobbies, engaging. I think affiliations can also be your pets. And so I think this tree of self-care is what you need to look at. And everybody's chair, everybody's tree of self-care looks different. I kind of feel like mine's a maple. Every When I talk about this, I imagine this maple tree that was in my yard growing up as a kid. Yeah. And the roots were very strong in the ground and the, the grass was well watered and, you know, the tree had all the different seasons. And so I think that's another thing too, is respecting part of our affiliations can be environment, respecting our seasons of life, whether we're in our early 20s or in midlife or older age, our affiliations are going to look differently. This is something we see with people that are older, that their social connections is a form of capital. So social capital is really important. All of this to say that if you have been told to practice self-care and you had a initial reaction like I did of, oh my God, I'm a therapist. I need to go practice self-care now, that maybe you just need to draw a tree and look at these three things for yourself. Where did I learn that it was okay for me to to take care of myself? Do I believe that I deserve it? Like Dr. Kurt Honda says. And what are my activities? Maybe there were activities you did before that your body doesn't need now or your lifestyle or the work that you're doing. I can imagine someone that's a designated mental health professional that does crisis work is going to have different activities than somebody that um, is in private practice or someone that isn't a helping professional. And then of course your affiliations. And so all of this boils down to, I hope you're getting the support you need. I hope you're taking care of yourself, which is something I say at the end of every episode. So I'm doing that now because we've come to the end. So take care of you and yours. And I hope you have a wonderful week.